Section 29 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Story of Ali Baba and the Forty Robbers Destroyed by a Slave, Part 1. In a town in Persia, there lived two brothers, one named Cassim, the other Ali Baba. Their father left them scarcely anything, but as he had divided his little property equally between them, it should seem their fortune ought to have been equal, but chance determined otherwise. Cassim married a wife who soon after became heiress to a large sum and a warehouse full of rich goods so that he all at once became one of the richest and most considerable merchants, and lived at his ease. Ali Baba, on the other hand, who had married a woman as poor as himself, lived in a very wretched habitation, and had no other means to maintain his wife and children but his daily labour of cutting wood, and bringing it upon three asses, which were his whole substance, to town to sell. One day, when Ali Baba was in the forest, and had just cut wood enough to load his asses, he saw at a distance a great cloud of dust, which seemed to be driven towards him. He observed it very attentively, and distinguished soon after a body of horse. Though there had been no rumour of robbers in that country, Ali Baba began to think that they might prove such, and without considering what might become of his asses, was resolved to save himself. He climbed up a large, thick tree, whose branches, at a little distance from the ground, were so close to one another that there was but little space between them. He placed himself in the middle, from whence he could see all that passed, without being discovered, and the tree stood at the base of a single rock, so steep and craggy that nobody could climb up it. The troop, who were all well mounted and armed, came to the foot of this rock, and there dismounted. Ali Baba counted forty of them, and from their looks and equipage was assured that they were robbers. Nor was he mistaken in his opinion, for they were a troop of banditti, who, without doing any harm to the neighbourhood, robbed at a distance, and made that place their rendezvous. But what confirmed him in his opinion was that every man unbridled his horse, tied him to some shrub, and hung about his neck a bag of corn which they brought behind them. Then each of them took his saddle wallet, which seemed to Ali Baba to be full of gold and silver from its weight. One, who was the most personable amongst them, and whom he took to be their captain, came with his wallet on his back under the tree in which Ali Baba was concealed, and making his way through some shrubs, pronounced these words so distinctly, open sesame that ali baba heard him as soon as the captain of the robbers had uttered these words a door opened in the rock and after he had made all his troop enter before him he followed them when the door shut again of itself the robbers stayed some time within the rock and ali baba who feared that some one or all of them together might come out and catch him if he should endeavour to make his escape was obliged to sit patiently in the tree. He was nevertheless tempted to get down, mount one of their horses, and lead another, 
driving his asses before him with all the haste he could to town. But the uncertainty of the event made him choose the safest course. At last the door opened again, and the forty robbers came out. As the captain went in last, he came out first, and stood to see them all pass by him. When Ali Baba heard him make the door close by pronouncing these words, Shut sesame! Every man went and bridled his horse, fastened his wallet, and mounted again. And when the captain saw them all ready, he put himself at their head, and they returned the way they had come. Ali Baba did not immediately quit his tree, for, said he to himself, they may have forgotten something, and may come back again, and then I shall be taken. He followed them with his eyes, as far as he could see them, and afterwards stayed a considerable time before he descended. Remembering the words the captain of the robbers used to cause the door to open and shut, he had the curiosity to try if his pronouncing them would have the same effect. Accordingly, he went among the shrubs, and perceiving the door concealed behind them, stood before it and said, Open sesame! The door instantly flew wide open. Ali Baba, who expected a dark dismal cavern, was surprised to see it well lighted and spacious, in form of a vault, which received the light from an opening at the top of the rock. He saw all sorts of provisions, rich bales of silk, stuff, brocade, and valuable carpeting, piled upon one another, gold and silver ingots in great heaps, and money in bags. The sight of all these riches made him suppose that this cave must have been occupied for ages by robbers who had succeeded one another. Ali Baba did not stand long to consider what he should do, but went immediately into the cave, and as soon as he had entered, the door shut of itself. But this did not disturb him, because he knew the secret to open it again. He never regarded the silver, but made the best use of his time in carrying out as much of the gold coin, which was in bags, at several times, as he thought his three asses could carry. He collected his asses, which were dispersed, and when he had loaded them with the bags, laid wood over in such a manner that they could not be seen. When he had done, he stood before the door, and pronouncing the words, Shut sesame! The door closed after him, for it had shut off itself while he was within, but remained open while he was out. He then made the best of his way to town. When Ali Baba got home, he drove his asses into a little yard, shut the gates very carefully, threw off the wood that covered the bags, carried them into his house, and ranged them in order before his wife, who sat on a sofa. His wife handled the bags, and finding them full of money, suspected that her husband had been robbing, insomuch that she could not help saying, Ali Baba, have you been so unhappy as to... Be quiet, wife, interrupted Ali Baba. Do not frighten yourself. I am no robber, unless he may be one who steals from robbers. You will no longer entertain an ill opinion of me when I shall tell you my good fortune. He then emptied the bags, which raised such a great heap of gold as dazzled his wife's eyes, and when he had done, 
told her the whole adventure from beginning to end, and above all recommended her to keep it secret. The wife, cured of her fears, rejoiced with her husband at their good fortune, and would count all the gold piece by piece. Wife, replied Ali Baba, you do not know what you undertake when you pretend to count the money. You will never have done. I will dig a hole and bury it. There is no time to be lost. You are in the right, husband, replied she, but let us know, as nigh as possible, how much we have. I will borrow a small measure in the neighbourhood and measure it while you dig the hole. What you are going to do is to no purpose, wife, said Ali Baba. If you would take my advice, you had better let it alone, but keep the secret and do what you please. Away the wife ran to her brother-in-law, Cassim, who lived just by, but was not then at home, and addressing herself to his wife, desired her to lend her a measure for a little while. Her sister-in-law asked her whether she would have a great or a small one. The other asked for a small one. She bade her stay a little, and she would readily fetch one. The sister-in-law did so, but as she knew Ali Baba's poverty, she was curious to know what sort of grain his wife wanted to measure, and artfully putting some suet at the bottom of the measure, brought it to her with an excuse that she was sorry that she had made her stay so long, but that she could not find it sooner. Ali Baba's wife went home, set the measure upon the heap of gold, filled it and emptied it often upon the sofa, till she had done, when she was very well satisfied to find the number of measures amounted to so many as they did, and went to tell her husband, who had almost finished digging the hole. While Ali Baba was burying the gold, his wife, to show her exactness and diligence to her sister-in-law, carried the measure back again, but without taking notice that a piece of gold had stuck to the bottom. "'Sister,' said she, giving it to her again, "'you see that I have not kept your measure long. "'I am obliged to you for it, and return it with thanks.' "'As soon as Ali Baba's wife was gone, "'Cassim's looked at the bottom of the measure, "'and was in inexpressible surprise "'to find a piece of gold stuck to it. "'Envy immediately possessed her breast. "'What?' said she. Has Ali Baba gold so plentiful as to measure it? Where has that poor wretch got all this wealth? Cassim, her husband, was not at home, but at his counting-house, which he left always in the evening. His wife waited for him, and thought the time an age, so great was her impatience to tell him the circumstance at which she guessed he would be as much surprised as herself. When Cassim came home, his wife said to him, Cassim, I know you think yourself rich, but you are much mistaken. Ali Baba is infinitely richer than you. He does not count his money, but measures it. Cassim desired her to explain the riddle, which she did, by telling him the stratagem she had used to make the discovery, and showed him the piece of money, which was so old that they could not tell in what prince's reign it was coined. Cassim, instead of being pleased, conceived a base envy at his brother's prosperity. He could not sleep all that night, and went to him in the morning before sunrise. Cassim, after he had married the rich widow, had never treated Ali Baba as a brother, but neglected him. Ali Baba, 
said he, accosting him. You are very reserved in your affairs. You pretend to be miserably poor, and yet you measure gold. How, brother, replied Ali Baba, I do not know what you mean. Explain yourself. Do not pretend ignorance, replied Cassim, showing him the piece of gold his wife had given him. How many of these pieces, added he, have you? My wife found this at the bottom of the measure you borrowed yesterday. By this discourse, Ali Baba perceived that Cassim and his wife, through his own wife's folly, knew what they had so much reason to conceal, but what was done could not be recalled. Therefore, without showing the least surprise or trouble, he confessed all, told his brother by what chance he had discovered this retreat of the thieves, in what place it was, and offered him part of his treasure to keep the secret. I expect as much, replied Cassim haughtily, but I must know exactly where this treasure is, and how I may visit it myself when I choose. Otherwise I will go and inform against you, and then you will not only get no more, but will lose all you have, and I shall have a share for my information. Ali Baba, more out of his natural good temper than frightened by the insulting menaces of his unnatural brother, told him all he desired, and even the very words he was to use to gain admission into the cave. Cassim, who wanted no more of Ali Baba, left him, resolving to be beforehand with him, and hoping to get all the treasure to himself. He rose the next morning long before the sun, and set out for the forest with ten mules bearing great chests, which he designed to fill, and followed the road which Ali Baba had pointed out to him. He was not long before he reached the rock, and found out the place by the tree, and other marks which his brother had given him. When he reached the entrance of the cavern, he pronounced the words, Open sesame! The door immediately opened, and when he was in, closed upon him. In examining the cave, he was in great admiration to find much more riches than he had apprehended from Ali Baba's relation. He was so covetous and greedy of wealth that he could have spent the whole day in feasting his eyes with so much treasure, if the thought that he came to carry some away had not hindered him. He laid as many bags of gold as he could carry at the door of the cavern, but his thoughts were so full of the great riches he should possess that he could not think of the necessary word to make it open, but instead of sesame said, Open barley, and was much amazed to find that the door remained fast shut. He named several sorts of grain, but still the door would not open. Cassim had never expected such an incident, and was so alarmed at the danger he was in, that the more he endeavoured to remember the word sesame, the more his memory was confounded and he had as much forgotten it as if he had never heard it mentioned. He threw down the bags he had loaded himself with, and walked distractedly up and down the cave, without having the least regard to the riches that were around him. About noon the robbers chanced to visit their cave, and at some distance from it saw Cassim's mules straggling about the rock, with great chests on their backs. Alarmed at this novelty, they galloped full speed to the cave. They drove away the mules, which Cassim had neglected to fasten, 
and they strayed through the forest so far that they were soon out of sight. The robbers never gave themselves the trouble to pursue them, being more concerned to know who they belonged to, and while some of them searched about the rock, the captain and the rest went directly to the door, with their naked sabres in their hands, and, pronouncing the proper words, it opened. Cassim, who heard the noise of the horse's feet from the middle of the cave, never doubted of the arrival of the robbers, and his approaching death, but was resolved to make one effort to escape from them. To this end he rushed to the door, and no sooner heard the word sesame, which he had forgotten, and saw the door open, than he ran out and threw the leader down, but could not escape the other robbers, who with their sabres soon deprived him of life. The first care of the robbers after this was to examine the cave. They found all the bags which Cassim had brought to the door, to be ready to load his mules, and carried them again to their places, without missing what Ali Baba had taken away before. Then holding a council, and deliberating upon this occurrence, they guessed that Cassim, when he was in, could not get out again, but could not imagine how he had entered. It came into their heads that he might have got down by the top of the cave, but the aperture by which it received light was so high, and the rock so inaccessible without, besides that nothing showed that he had done so, that they gave up this conjecture. That he came in at the door they could not believe, however, unless he had the secret of making it open. In short, none of them could imagine which way he had entered, for they were all persuaded nobody knew their secret, little imagining that Ali Baba had watched them. It was a matter of the greatest importance to them to secure their riches. They agreed, therefore, to cut Cassim's body into four quarters, to hang two on one side and two on the other within the door of the cave, to terrify any person who should attempt the same thing, determining not to return to the cave till the stench of the body was completely exhaled. They had no sooner taken this resolution than they put it in execution, and when they had nothing more to detain them, left the place of their hordes well closed. They mounted their horses, went to beat the roads again, and to attack the caravans they might meet. In the meantime, Cassim's wife was very uneasy when night came, and her husband was not returned. She ran to Ali Baba in alarm, and said, I believe, brother-in-law, that you know Cassim, your brother, is gone to the forest, and upon what account? It is now night, and he has not returned. I am afraid some misfortune has happened to him. Ali Baba, who had expected that his brother, after what he had said, would go to the forest, had declined going himself that day, for fear of giving him any umbrage. Therefore told her, without any reflection upon her husband's unhandsome behaviour, that she need not frighten herself, for that certainly Cassim would not think it proper to come into the town till the night should be pretty far advanced. Cassim's wife, considering how much it concerned her husband to keep the business secret, was the more easily persuaded to believe her brother-in-law. She went home again and waited patiently till midnight. Then her fear redoubled, and her grief was the more sensible because she was forced to keep it to herself. She repented of her foolish curiosity and cursed her desire of penetrating into the affairs of her brother and sister-in-law. 
she spent all the night in weeping, and as soon as it was day went to them, telling them by her tears the cause of her coming. Ali Baba did not wait for his sister-in-law to desire him to go to see what was become of Cassim, but departed immediately with his three asses, begging of her first to moderate her affliction. He went to the forest, and when he came near the rock, having seen neither his brother nor the mules in his way, was seriously alarmed at finding some blood spilt near the door, which he took for an ill omen. But when he had pronounced the word, and the door had opened, he was struck with horror at the dismal sight of his brother's quarters. He was not long in determining how he should pay the last dues to his brother, but without adverting to the little fraternal affection he had shown for him, went into the cave to find something to enshroud his remains, and having loaded one of his asses with them, covered them over with wood. The other two asses he loaded with bags of gold, covering them with wood also as before, and then bidding the door shut, came away, but was so cautious as to stop some time at the end of the forest, that he might not go into the town before night. When he came home, he drove the two asses loaded with gold into his little yard, and left the care of unloading them to his wife, while he led the other to his sister-in-law's house. Ali Baba knocked at the door, which was opened by Morgiana, an intelligent slave, fruitful in inventions to ensure success in the most difficult undertakings, and Ali Baba knew her to be such. When he came into the court, he unloaded the ass, and taking Morgiana aside, said to her, The first thing I ask of you is an inviolable secrecy, which you will find is necessary both for your mistress's sake and mine. Your master's body is contained in these two bundles, and our business is to bury him as if he had died a natural death. Go tell your mistress I want to speak with her, and mind what I have said to you. Morgiana went to her mistress, and Ali Baba followed her. Well, brother, said she with great impatience, what news do you bring me of my husband? I perceive no comfort in your countenance. Sister, answered Ali Baba, I cannot satisfy your inquiries unless you hear my story from the beginning to the end without speaking a word, for it is of as great importance to you as to me to keep what has happened secret. Alas, said she, this preamble lets me know that my husband is not to be found, but at the same time I know the necessity of the secrecy you require, and I must constrain myself. Say on, I will hear you. Ali Baba then detailed the incidents of his journey, till he came to the finding of Cassim's body. Now, said he, sister, I have something to relate which will afflict you the more, because it is perhaps what you so little expect, but it cannot now be remedied. If my endeavours can comfort you, I offer to put that which God hath sent me to what you have, and marry you, assuring you that my wife will not be jealous, and that we shall live happily together. If this proposal is agreeable to you, we must think of acting so as that my brother should appear to have died a natural death. I think you may leave the management of the business to Morgiana, and I will contribute all that lies in my power to your consolation. 
what could Cassim's widow do better than accept of this proposal? For though her first husband had left behind him a plentiful substance, his brother was now much richer, and by the discovery of this treasure might be still more so. Instead, therefore, of rejecting the offer, she regarded it as the sure means of comfort, and, drying up her tears, which had begun to flow abundantly, and suppressing the outcries usual with women who have lost their husbands, showed Ali Baba that she approved of his proposal. Ali Baba left the widow, recommended to Morgiana to act her part well, and then returned home with his ass. Morgiana went out at the same time to an apothecary, and asked for a sort of lozenges, which he prepared, and were very efficacious in the most dangerous disorders. The apothecary inquired who was ill at her master's. She replied with a sigh, Her good master, Cassim himself, that they knew not what his disorder was, but that he could neither eat nor speak. After these words, Morgiana carried the lozenges home with her, and the next morning went to the same apothecaries again, and with tears in her eyes asked for an essence which they used to give to sick people only when at the last extremity. Alas, said she, taking it from the apothecary, I am afraid that this remedy will have no better effect than the lozenges, and that I shall lose my good master. On the other hand, as Ali Baba and his wife were often seen to go between Cassim's and their own house all that day, and to seem melancholy, nobody was surprised in the evening to hear the lamentable shrieks and cries of Cassim's wife and Morgiana, who gave out everywhere that her master was dead. End of section 29